But on the internet, there's just no shortage of video information, a testimony about how you can be changed. And most of them look something like this. Okay, people, here's the deal. Um, if you watch my last video, you'll notice a difference in my hair. I cut it all off. It used to be long, not anymore. Figure if I'm going to change my lifestyle, might as well change a little more. Okay, um, so I started three months ago. I'm down 43 pounds. Uh, started at 298, down to 255. Change is possible. Um, you just got to be consistent, keep a positive mind. And most of all, just have willpower. Just get up and do it. No excuses. I'm serious. Change is possible. I'll keep you guys up. Okay, people. Here's <laughs> Right? So, good stuff. Right? You just got to will yourself into it. But now, if, like me, at times in your life you've been stuck in a rut, that kind of testimony actually is not helpful, but it actually just produces more feelings of desperation or hopelessness because you just feel like, I'm never going to be that guy. I've, it's not working for me. So our question today is, does the Bible have any help for us regarding change in those areas where we feel stuck? Maybe you've already tried, but you can't change your relationship with food, overeating or undereating. Maybe it's porn and sexual addiction. Maybe it's the fact that you're gripped by anger and rage. Or you find yourself always missing opportunities because of fear and timidity or anxiety. Maybe you're always assuming rejection in your relationships, and so it's hard for you to move forward. Or you find yourself unable to get out of the cloud of depression. Maybe it's financial patterns that you feel like you just cannot change. Or maybe for you, it's not so much individual, but it's corporate. Longing for changes. You know, why is it the church is still the most segregated on a 9.30 on Sunday morning, right? Maybe you're tired of the fact that, why is the church still segregated racially? Why does justice seem to elude us on this planet uh, so often? And you want to see change in bigger ways. So how does the Bible answer the questions when we are stuck or where we are stuck? Is personal or corporate change possible? And if so, how? So before we look at the scripture today that we're going to use to start to answer that question as we begin this new series, Change is Possible, I want to give you the context for what we're about to read. The author is the Apostle Paul. And he is actually illustrating the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he actually got into this argument because he is actually defending his ministry also. And as a means of defending his apostleship, he gets into this discussion about the Old and New Covenant. And regarding the Old Covenant, he says things like, The letter kills. It's a ministry of condemnation. It did come with glory because when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down, remember, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about the Old Covenant, we're talking about the covenant that God made with his people when he gave the Ten Commandments to follow. And it did come with a certain glory. I mean, Moses was able to survive an absolute fast for 40 days. When he came down from the mountain, his face was shining. There was thunder on the mountain. But that that glory is fading and, in fact, is done. So that's the Old Covenant. But regarding the new covenant, Paul says things like, we have a confidence now because our sufficiency as new covenant ministers is from God. It's not from ourselves. It's a covenant of the spirit, not of the letter. And it has a glory that will never fade. Are we blinding people right now? Awesome. Sorry. Who? Yeah. Sorry about your retinas. Thank you. We'll pray for healing at the end of the service. <clears throat> 
So he's making these distinctions. And then Paul references an Old Testament passage. And as is common with Paul, he references a passage. And he actually, his logic is a little bit fuzzy. And it's fuzzy enough that for 2,000 years, people have been debating, what did he actually mean? So we're not going to worry about that part. But I just want to introduce you. What is the Old Testament passage that he's referring to? And then I'll get us into our passage today regarding these questions. Is change possible? The Old Testament passage that he's looking at is this one about the glory that came with the Old Covenant. It's Exodus 34, and I'm going to read it from the screen with you. Actually, let's read this together, okay? It's Exodus 34, 29 to about 35. Let's read this together from the screen. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain... Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. The important thing we keep in mind, there's this picture of the fact that Moses experienced such enemies through the Lord that his face would shine. So having that in mind, let's turn now to 2 Corinthians 3. And we're going to start uh, in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 3. But this also just preamble where I'm really headed to is verses 16, 17, and 18, as well as verse 1 of chapter 4. But to slide in there, we need to start at 1 Corinthians 3, sorry, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse, uh, uh, actually, yeah, 12, I think I might want to start earlier, actually. Yeah, actually, um, oh, that's why, because I'm in 1 Corinthians. I do mean 12. (laughs) That'll help. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 is correct. Okay, let's just read these three verses together, actually four, 12, 13, 14, 15. Let's read these together also from the screen together. Since we have such a hope, new covenant hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Again, we won't spend tons of time on this, but you notice Paul kind of using this picture in two different ways. He first asserts that the reason that Moses had to put on the veil was to hide the fact that the glory was fading. And that was probably the common rabbinical commentary on these verses on this time. You know, Exodus itself doesn't help us. But then you notice Paul changes gears and uses the veil as a metaphor for the hardness of the hearts of the Jews of the day. That was actually the people group he had the hardest time reaching. Paul was, was very successful reaching Gentiles for Jesus, but he was had a hard time communicating the gospel really fruitfully to um, his own people, the Jews. So anyways... 
best little context, because if I just started right with uh, 16, um, it would be a little bit not helpful for us. So now with this context, let's address this question. Is change possible? And if it's possible, how does God help us? And um, what else can, can we learn from this? And let's start with then 16, first, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3.16. Let's just read this verse together. 2 Corinthians 3.16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Sorry, I did that really fast on you. Can we do that again together? Here we go. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Change is possible because the changer is present. Okay, the first reason why change is possible for us is because the changer, the Lord, is present. We have access to him. And when we turn to the Lord, it automatically implies something else. When we turn to the Lord, we turn from something else. I loved that our, one of our men's D groups in discipleship groups in college uh, this last Tuesday was viewing some David Platt. And David Platts, actually, do you know that he's the head of the Southern Baptist um, International Mission Board, as well as being a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. He's written the book Radical and some other books. But as we were watching this uh, David Platt t- video together with our, this college men, David Platt used this illustration. He said, notice that when I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 3, you can't help turning to 2 Corinthians 3 without turning from something else. So, in other words... Turning to the Lord always implies that you're turning from something else. And when we turn to the Lord from something else, we're turning from that which hardens our hearts. What did the writer of Hebrews say? He said we needed to encourage each other daily. Why? So that none of us would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. When we turn to the Lord, we turn away from that which is causing our heart to be hard. And, of course, the thing is, we don't recognize we're being deceived by it. That's why it's deceitfulness, right? We think, a little porn here, a little lying there. It's not a big deal. A little of this, my idol. But meanwhile, your heart's getting hard. But look at this. What does the scripture say? When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Change is possible because the changer is present to us when we turn to him. If you know the story of any alcoholic or anyone struggling with substance abuse, though their lives are falling apart, though they are failing in their jobs, though their own spouses are threatening to leave, though everything's a mess, one of the hardest things to do for the alcoholic, for the substance abuser, is to turn because it's the only reality they've ever known. So there's actually a little comfort from the bottle. and, And so leaving that lifestyle, something has to die. Struggling with pornography, you've got your little porn friends. That you've had, your little companions over time. And you have to leave them and turn to the Lord. But change is possible because the changer himself is present to us. And if we take Paul's earlier argument, kind of his assumption, that the reason that Moses had to put on the veil was actually because the glory was fading and he wanted to hide that. That's the interpretation he was giving there. I don't know if you caught it. But if we take that argument, then the great thing about this is change is possible. The change is present. We get to remove the veil because the glory's not fading. As we'll learn later in these verses, we go from glory to glory. The glory of this new covenant is better. When we turn to the changer, it's glory to glory. I want my wife to come up and help me. You guys, this is Kelsey Hubacher. She's clearly the better half. Yeah. I thought to myself yesterday, and um, because Kelsey and I had a great little, I had a little pep talk from Kelsey, and I just thought, 
my wife is better than me at pretty much everything. I'm so glad I married her. And about six and three quarters years ago, on January 3rd, 2009, this is what we looked like, except for a few different clothes, but this was the top of her head. And it was a wonderful moment. And, uh, and of course, the ceremony, there's a time when the bride-to-be, um, when we are going to say our vows. You know, the climax of the ceremony is the sharing of the vows. And there's a moment, actually, I think it's your dad, so it's before the vows, but Kelsey's dad took away the veil so that now we could have intimacy. And we could move forward in being together. And this is the imagery, right, of Moses. He met with, he met with God. It was so powerful. He was so shiny, he had to put the veil over his face. But when we turn to the Lord, what does it say? The veil's removed. Intimacy. Amen? Thank you, Mrs. Hubacher. That was awesome. Okay, let's keep plowing through. Let's go to the next verse. Why is change possible? How is God encouraging us? Besides the fact that the changer is present, when we turn to the Lord, it's unveiled. 317 says this. Let's read this out loud all together. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Change is possible because of the changer's nature. Okay, change is possible because of the changer's nature. I'll get to that second part in a moment. Now, Paul, why does Paul do this? And really, all I can offer you right now is conjecture, but I think it's Holy Ghost conjecture, so you can take it or leave it. But he says, all right, so when we turn to the Lord, it's, it's unveiled, right? That's what he just said in 16, right? He said, um, when, now, the, uh, now when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now he has to specify. Why does Paul take a moment here to specify about which member of the Trinity he's most interested in right now? Because I know when I think of the veil being removed, I mean, given the context, I think of Yahweh, the Lord. Or I think of maybe Jesus now. But Paul makes a special point to say, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Why does he do that? Again, I'll just give you my best conjecture. I I hearken back to Jesus' words at the end of his life on earth when he said to the disciples who were getting a little bit sad that he was leaving. And what were his words? His words were, it's better that I go away because guess who's going to come? The helper, right? The counselor, the paraclete, the one who walks beside the Holy Spirit. So I believe that the reason that Paul makes the, um, this emphasis that the Lord is the Spirit, it's because it's only the Holy Spirit who is our counselor, who can fill us, who can get into our internals and deal with all of our insides. Our insides are complex places, bless you, aren't they? They're complex places. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says, the spirit of a man is as deep waters. Only a man of understanding can draw it out. Well, who's the best person of understanding the whole universe? It's the Godhead, but especially present to us, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and that's good news for you and me. Because as we deal with our own incapacity to change, as we face our own inability to change ourselves, as we realize that what needs to happen is we need to take off the veil and look at God, we can be confident that it's the Lord who we're addressing and dealing with is the Spirit, and the Spirit wants to totally invade you. He wants to rearrange your insides. He has the power to do it. He's the counselor. Only He can really handle all of your insides anyways. So isn't it good that the Lord is the Spirit? And he adds to that now a certain thing about the nature of the changer. And the nature of the changer is that he is freedom. All right? 
And so what the Holy Spirit, and how I'm saying it, how I'm framing it in this conversation is, the Holy Spirit, he is the changer, and it's his nature to grant you your prerogative. You know what your prerogative is? Your prerogative is your birthright. It's what's rightfully yours. And I'm telling you, sons and daughters of God, your prerogative is freedom. Your prerogative is liberty. Now, because you live on this earth, you probably have a set of strongholds that are uniquely yours. In other words, Satan's been at this for a long time. You have certain familial history. You have the house and family of origin that you grew up in. And so all of us kind of have our pet strongholds. And that is why it's so good that the Spirit of the Lord, that the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because He knows that you've got strongholds that you wrestle with on a regular basis in your life. And guess what He does? He comes in and He brings freedom. He wants to bring freedom to you. It's His nature. It's the nature of the changer to give you your prerogative. Your prerogative is freedom. Amen? This is how this works. Kelsey and I had an interesting time in the kitchen a few months ago, and we started smelling some nasty things. And um, it wasn't what was growing in the refrigerator, praise the Lord. But it was, it was something much more sinister. We realized that we had dead mice. And you know there's dead mice back behind the fridge. You know there's dead mice behind the, uh, you know, the little hole behind where the dishwasher is because the kitchen starts to smell like death. All right, that's not good. On the contrary, this is where the Spirit of the Lord comes. When the Spirit of the Lord, it's His nature. Cheap. These are just stop and chop matches. Forget those. There we go. All right. This is what happens with the Spirit of the Lord. It looks like this. Okay, we have our little, um, we have our, there goes the sermon. We have our little Mystic Harbor Ocean Mist Candle. So appropriate for this North Shore. And we got it at True Value Hardware Store. It was a Yankee Candle price. I don't think it's Yankee Candle proper, or, or quality, but it still does its job. If you've come to our house and we have this on, maybe we put it in the bathroom because we're afraid of what you're going to do in there. Or <laughs> we have it in our living room, right? The thing is, this candle, when it starts to light, there's no escaping its effect. In other words, you walk into the living room and you know that there's a good scent there. This scent automatically pushes out other scents, right? It automatically fills the room. And that is what the Spirit of the Lord does. It's His nature to give you your prerogative. Your birthright as sons and daughters of the Most High God is freedom. And when the Spirit of God comes inside you, He displaces the bad and He fills you with this, with life, with freedom. Now, I just pray that that sits inside you deeply because it's that revelation that can be a game changer for some of you that are stuck. It's not about you getting more unstuck, but one approach, and there's many angles to look at your stuckness, but one of them is, I just need more of the Holy Spirit because His nature is to displace the bad. His nature is freedom. He wants to give me my prerogative, and He will do it. You just ask for more of Him. Isn't that good news today? Just Holy Spirit, fill me up. I'm a mess. I'm stuck here. Will you please fill me up again? There's hope in that, is there not? Amen. Let me not put, set the veil on fire either. Okay, let's see. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to... Um, well, yeah, I just want to somehow make all these props show up here and look nice and be awesome. Yeah, okay. 
Good enough. You know there's a candle back there. You'll smell it a little bit. <laughs> All right, so change is possible because the changer is present. The veil's removed. And change is possible because it's the changer's nature to give you your prerogative, which is freedom. It's just his nature. And let us continue then in verse 18. Let's see if I said anything. Yeah, I said everything I need to about 17. All right, 18. Let's read this together out loud. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The third reason and final reason why change is possible is because the changer has power. He's the source. He is the one who is doing the transforming. As it says here in verse 18, we all with unveiled faces. Paul repeats this idea. And I just want to emphasize to you that there's nothing blocking you from change. Okay, it can feel like anxiety, depression, discouragement, doubt, fear, unbelief. All the demonic trifectas of things that come against us. It can feel like those things are preventing us. But they do not veil you in truth. In truth, you are unveiled and those things are not blocking you. Now I understand, and physiology is teaching us, that even with repetitive things that get us in bondage, there is brain chemistry that is affected. Right? Our brain chemistry is affected by our addiction. So I understand that we can feel blocked at different times. In fact, when Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he didn't really know how powerful his statement was. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that those who sin sexually sin against their own body. He wasn't just saying, uh, all right, maybe I'll just say this. Science is proving that to be more and more true. Because if you start to have sexual uh, accounts, encounters outside of marriage, whether it's a real person, you start to bond with them. Or if you're bonding with pornography, what happens is your brain chemistry starts to change. The dopamine that gets released gets higher and higher so that you just need more and more. So I'm not saying that there's not a reality. I'm not saying that there's not a journey for you to take as you're getting out of whatever has you stuck. But what I am saying is that the lies that got you stuck there in the first place are not true. And so you can get free by the power of God, by help of community, and we have several other messages on those things that I can dig up from the library and send to you if you need more information there. So we're all, in, again, I'm just repeating, it's all with unveiled face. Nothing blocks us now from the changer. And the changer has power, and the power comes as we behold him, right? It says, beholding the glory of the Lord, or the alternate translation, which is just as valid as reflecting the glory of the Lord. Let's talk about that for a little bit. As we behold him, we reflect him. Because you know that you are what you behold. The psalmist said it this way. And actually, it's so good. I'm going to, um, it's worth sharing with you. Psalm 115. Um, I'm going to start in verse 2 and um, get us to verse 8. We are what we behold. Listen to what the psalmist says. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God's in the heavens. And he does whatever the heck he wants. That's my translation. Verse 4. Their idols. Awesome. Thank you. Steph. Wow. On the ball. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Ooh, now here's the part I'm getting to. Verse 8. Those who make them will become like them 
so do all who trust in them. Right? You become what you behold. I wish that in beholding pornography, you'd all get more beautiful. That'd be great. That's actually not what happens. When you behold pornography, what's happening is you are beholding that which is a total lie. And you yourself become more and more empty. As you look at bodies that are disembodied from their souls because you're not encountering a real person, you also get disembodied from your own soul. We are what we behold. And that's why the commandment here or the implication or the, the, the encouragement is to behold the Lord. Because you know that the Lord is the most whole person in the entire universe. Right? Whatever your issue is, if it's overeating, if it's financial overspending, whatever the deal is, you know, the source is always going to be idolatry. And so like it says, we turn to the Lord with an unveiled face. We turn to him. We repent. We turn. You turn from your idol and you behold him. And the good news is, even in your little weak prayer, even in your Jesus, please help me. Even one glance of your eyes, the Song of Solomon seems to indicate, one glance of your eyes toward heaven you get to be transformed because of who you're beholding. Your little prayers, our little meditations on the scripture are getting to his presence because Jesus is the most real, the most whole person who has ever been. So as you behold a real person who has integrity and is the perfect God-man, guess who you become? You become that son and daughter of the Most High God because you are beholding him. Later, four psalms later in Psalm 119, the heart cry of the psalmist is this. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And now here's the, you know, the psalmist, this kind of literature has a, an oppositional statement. And the oppositional is, and give me life in your ways. We all know that idolatry is death. We all know that we're killed by the things that have us, that are idols. And so here with the psalmist, we can say, I don't want to look at worthless things. Food, the mall. This person that I'm getting way too connected to. But I want to look to Jesus. I want to behold you. Because there's life in those ways. And so when you behold Jesus. Through prayer. Through Bible study. You. As you press into beholding him. And reflecting him. You are continuously transformed. Steph can we put up the verse again. Thank you so much. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed. This is, this is our hope for change today. Because the changer has power. Here's the power. We're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Again, Paul just emphasizing that reality. I'm so sorry, I don't want to blind you. <coughs> There's some glory. Okay. As you reflect, right, just, you know, actually, this is good. Yeah. Because what's happening is there's a light source over there. We'll call it Jesus. <laughs> here's, here's a mirror, and you're beholding the mirror, that light source. Guess what happens to you? You start to shine. Think of the moon at night, right? The moon is not its own light. I wish I could have gotten him here as a prop, but I don't have that gravitational pull to get him down here. But... The moon reflects the light of, G- of the sun. What a great picture for what happens to us as we behold Jesus. We start to radiate as Moses did. Thanks, honey. Sorry about that. Not the veil. Ah. Thank you. 
Thank you. <clears throat> what a great picture, right? Reflecting his glory. Beholding him, reflecting his glory. You behold him, you start to reflect his glory. You start to be changed from glory to glory, from him. And God is into journey. Okay, the one writing this, Paul, of all people understood journey. It was a long road. Do you know that there's about a 10-year gap from between the time that he got nailed on the road to Damascus by the presence and the power of God, and then we see him start to uh, interact uh, with the church and be sent out? What was Jesus doing with Saul, Paul, for 10 years, 10 plus years? He was doing a lot of this. That man had a lot of hate. He had a lot of self-loathing. He was very driven. And a lot of his drivenness, again, these are some of my, I'm just putting together a little character sketch. He seemed really driven, really uptight, really angry. God had to deal with him a little bit before he was able to share some of what he was called to share. Change is possible because the changer is present. Because it's the changer's nature to give you your prerogative, meaning freedom. And because the changer has power. It's not your power that's going to get you unstuck. It's his power and just looking at him that's going to get you unstuck. And as we prepare for communion, so what a great way to respond. But let's get, let's get the changer. Let's get communion with the changer. I want to end with this last verse because it's the next verse, the first verse of the next chapter. Because there's a therefore. And it's such a good therefore. Let's put that up there. Therefore, having this ministry. Remember, he's been talking. We're new covenant ministers. Because we have unveiled faces. Because we can behold the one who is the one who changes us. Why don't you, I just want you to say that last phrase with me. The last five words. We do not lose heart. And I know that I know that I know that some of you in this room have lost heart. In your battle. And you're being stuck. You've lost heart. So what I'm going to do is, we're going to have communion here in a moment. And just as a reminder, I invite you to come to these middle rows and come up. And we dip our matzah or gluten-free glutino into the grape juice. And then you can take it. But if that's you today and you've lost heart, guess what we found in the closet? We found some of our things that we call carpets. We found some of our rugs. And what I want you to do is, you've lost heart in this whole, is change possible for me, Spectrum? If you've lost heart... I want you to take communion and I want you to just take a place on these um, rugs and say, Jesus, I've lost heart. Come and be my changer. I behold you. I look to you. I just look at you right now. You don't have to go through a whole litany of how bad you are. You don't have to go through the litany of all your failures. You can just look at Jesus. Just look to him. Amen? Amen. At this point, I'd like to invite the worship band to come forward. And I'd like to invite those who are serving communion to come forward. As we behold the changer. The Lord, with unveiled faces, that's so made possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. And again, we'll have the gluten-free option will be here. And um, as I was starting to say, if you'd come down these middle aisles by intention, and then if you are not staying on the carpets, just go back through the side aisles, okay? Trying to keep the traffic flow good. You're coming up these two middle aisles, you're going out the side, going finding your places back that way. Okay, but if you need to stop by, behold the Lord for a little bit on a carpet. You don't even need a carpet, actually. There's space everywhere. You can do that. Okay, let's all stand. I'm just going to grab this. Whoa, shock. Ooh. And Bonnie, can I grab that cup for a second? So we just remember 
that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks, saying, this is my body, broken for me. He didn't say this then, but I'm saying to you now, behold me, behold me, because I'm the one who can change you. And after the supper, in the liturgy of the Passover that they were doing, he took the cup. So this is my blood shed for you. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. It's the blood of the new covenant. It's the very thing Paul was talking about. We have a new relationship with God based on the fact that we can look at him with an unveiled face. He sees you. He sees all your junk and he still loves you. We get to come right to him. So Father, should we pray? Let's just agree together. Father, we agree that in obedience to your commandment that we take communion that your Holy Spirit would so visit these elements that they would be not only to us bread, but as the body of Christ. This would be not only grape juice, but as the blood of Jesus, powerful to transform us from the inside out because we are stuck and we can't unstick ourselves, but you can as we behold you with an unveiled face, as we get transformed one more step of glory today on our journey with you. We receive these as your gift to us. In Jesus' name, amen.